Hi, I'm Dr. John Jiggins. Welcome to the Paradigm Shift on 4ZZZ. Today I'll be looking at the crisis in Queensland's prisons and examining the change in paradigm that many in the prison industry are advocating. My guest will be Keith Hamburger, a former Director General of Corrective Services in Queensland. We'll be discussing the Queensland Productivity Commission report on imprisonment and recidivism. For convenience, the Queensland Productivity Commission report will be referred to as the QPC report. The number of Queenslanders in prison has almost doubled during this decade. Housing this growing prison population has stretched corrective services resources to the breaking point. Prisons are overflowing and are operating at 130% of capacity. Annually, it costs $111,000 to house an adult in prison. The number of prisoners in Queensland is approaching 9,000. We are spending $1 billion annually on prisons. Given the rising rate of imprisonment, Queensland is faced with building another two new prisons over the next five years to house another 4,000 prisoners. The cost for these prisons is estimated to be $3.6 billion. In 2017, the Labor government asked the Queensland Productivity Commission to investigate Queensland's burgeoning prison population and to recommend solutions. An impressive team of researchers examined hundreds of submissions from stakeholders and the public, interviewing many at public hearings and producing a 700-page report. This report, the Queensland Productivity Commission Report on Imprisonment and Recidivism, was finally released to the public in February 2020, six months after the Commission gave the report to the government, who held it back, apparently terrified by its level-headed recommendations. For what the QPC report recommended was a change in paradigm. In direct financial terms, imprisonment costs the Queensland community almost a billion dollars every year. Its social costs, although harder to measure, are much greater. Incarceration has profound impacts on prisoners, their families and the community, loss of employment, housing, relationships, as well as mental health problems, all of which increase the risk of reoffending. In this report, we ask whether community safety is best served by continuing the current approach. Is there a case for some crimes to be punished with non-custodial options? Could better outcomes be achieved with greater attention to rehabilitation and reintegration? Would some offences be better treated as medical issues than criminal offences? Should victims be empowered by building in restitution and restoration options? Early indications are that the community may actually be made safer by reforming current practices. My guest for today's paradigm shift is Keith Hamburger. In a stellar career in the Queensland Public Service, 
Keith Hamburger was appointed Queensland's first Director General of Corrective Services in December 1988, and he remained in this position until June 1997, when he became CEO of the Public Service Board of Queensland. As Director General of Queensland Corrective Services, Keith oversaw an ambitious reform agenda that was based on the principles of restorative justice, leading an era of reform that he remains immensely proud of. For this paradigm shift, we spoke about the crisis in Queensland's prisons, and I asked Keith Hamburger for his impressions of the controversial Queensland Productivity Commission report on imprisonment. What I like about the report in its totality is that it brings together a tremendous amount of valuable information and statistics that demonstrate the need for change. None of that information in there is a surprise to me. I've worked in the criminal justice system now for many, many years, and it wouldn't be a surprise to other practitioners or to academics or people who work in this field. But what this report has done is brought together in a, in a very, uh, in, one, in one place, in a very useful way. On the other hand, I have to say, and I am disappointed with this, that in its presentation, the presentation does not make people aware of the invisible disasters that are happening around this state in a whole range of disadvantaged communities that are the cause of crime. It's mentioned in various places through here, but this awful situation of neglected and abused children and families disintegrating and poverty that breeds crime needs to be treated like a social disaster and needs to be put right in front and centre with politicians and with the public that this is something that we need urgency. There's been massive consultation and it's shown in this report. All the people have been involved in giving information to the QPC to get this thing together and yet Queensland Government's response to the report shows that there's going to be a committee appointed to do more consultation. I think it's time for action. We need there's enough evidence in here for action. There are ideas in here that can be actioned very quickly. If I go back to the early 1990s, the Queensland Corrective Services Commission then closed a whole high security prison at Woodford within a matter of months through implementing uh, alternatives to imprisonment, including the Western Outreach Camp Scheme, community hostels and a whole range of things that took many of those short-term offenders are now currently in secure cells out of the system. And that was done rapidly because we saw it as an emergency and had to be done. One of the many interesting graphs and tables in the QPC report is a graph of the rate of imprisonment per population for Queensland over the past century. When you examine this graph, you discover that the period when the rate of imprisonment in Queensland experienced its greatest decline over the past 50 years was after Keith Hamburger took over corrective services because of programs he's referred to like the Western Outreach Program. I asked Keith Hamburger to tell me more about this program and how it exemplified the practice of restorative justice. The Western Outreach Program started after the Charleville floods back in the early 1990s when we were approached by the local shire to see if we had some prisoners who could go out there to help rebuild the devastated town um, and we actually sent 120 prisoners who we regard as low risk 
uh, even though some of them had done serious crimes, but nevertheless their behaviour was such that we felt they were of low risk and they were sent out there to work with the local community to try and re-establish Charleville. Uh, we also provided some implements and tools and they had local shire equipment and so forth. So uh, they were there for a few months and they did a magnificent job and they became really part of the town uh, and greatly appreciated by the local community because with 120 men there extra, uh, a lot was achieved in terms of cleaning people's houses, getting mud and muck out of places. They rebuilt the, the local cemetery where the headstones had been all knocked over and just did so much community work. What happened out of that was that the mayor approached us and asked whether we could... Uh, they, in fact, I was just a humorous aside about this. We, I took his call, Graham Andrews at the time it was, uh, and he said, Keith, I know these prisons are due to come back, but he said, we had a fundraiser out here of all the service clubs and we've raised $40,000. He said, if we gave $40,000 to the Corrective Services Commission, would you let us keep the prisoners? <laughs> and so I laughed and I said, you're serious? He said, look, we want them to stay here. Um, and anyway, cut a long story short, we didn't take his $40,000 that day with them, but we set up a... Uh, well, we had set up a camp there, so we just let them there because there was so much more work to be done. And then... A member of our board who was uh, at the time deputy chair of the Bollenshire, he had the idea, he said, well, look, this works in Charleville, this could work in other country towns. So he actually set about preparing the way, going and seeing the Shire councils. And as a result, we set up about 12 camps across Queensland, places like Buckhalden and Blackhall and St George and Charleville, of course, and, and others. And we had up to about 250 offenders working in those camps in the community. Now, to bring that back to the framework of restorative justice, what it represented was under restorative justice, what you attempt to do is to re rehabilitate and restore the offender to a law-abiding lifestyle, and you also try and restore something to the victims and or to the community to compensate for the crime. Now, what happened in Charleville and the camps was that for the first time these offenders, most of them have had pretty problematic backgrounds, had a chance to do community work where they were genuinely appreciated. The people in the town were always making favourable comments to them and saying, gee, mate, you're doing a great job and couldn't do this without you and all that sort of stuff. And they, they felt really good about that as a, as a person. So that's restorative. It was restorative for them in terms of their personal attitudes it was restorative for them in the sense of the skills they learnt. There were people learning how to lay pavers and operate equipment they'd never operated before, paint things, etc. Um, and just as an aside on that, the, uh, we used to put them out there for three weeks with the staff. We'd bring them back to a central camp in Brisbane out at Wacol. We'd give them a week's leave and they'd actually go home on leave and they'd go back out there again. And I was getting contacted by wives and partners of those blokes saying, well, there's a change come over this man. He comes home and he wants to lay papers, he wants to do something, he wants to mow the lawns, all this sort of stuff, which things they'd never done before. So anyway, there was restorative for them in that sense, and it was very restorative for the community in the fact that here were offenders now giving something back to the community. And what happened out of that, the uh, evidence at the time, and it's probably somewhere buried in corrective services now because it was over... 30 years ago, around 30 years ago, um, was it the offenders that actually 
went through that program, what we kept doing was moving low-security offenders down through the program, had a lower recidivism rate than the ones that got released from jail straight back to the community. So it definitely was restorative justice in the sense it reduced reoffending, restored the offender self-esteem, and it restored something to the community. That, that initiative was part of the recommendations of the Kennedy Royal Commission into the then prison system. I was appointed as the first Director General under a community-based board of very, very competent and, and very good people. And we had the task of setting about to implement those recommendations, and we did it. And um, very pleased that we did, but sadly all of that is now sort of withered away. <laughs> During our interview, Keith Hamburger spoke passionately about the report and the need for corrective service reform. He wanted to see action, and I suspect his fear was that this could be another excellent report that would never be acted on. By hiding the report for six months, and by then proposing another committee to report on the report, it did appear that the Palaszczuk government was kicking the can further and further down the road, hoping the troublesome report would quickly expire. The interview went on. I asked Keith about the people who make up the prison population. Prison population in Queensland, for example, I think is about 31% are First Nations people, um, which and they're only represented in the general population by about 4.6%, so they're grossly overrepresented. People in prison are typically about 40% are functionally illiterate. A lot of people in there have substance abuse problems. We have uh, a lot of mental illness now, uh, driven by a whole range of factors uh, that are driving criminality. And so our prisons at the moment are the repository for a whole lot of people with severe mental trauma. There's something like nearly up to 15% of our prisoners are intellectually impaired in some way. Uh, and then beyond that, whole range of mental trauma and so forth. Um, so these are the, the people that we're dealing with. And the other interesting thing about the, the uh, prison population is that a significant proportion are in there for a relatively short period of time. 52.9% of prisoners, this is in the QPC report, are discharged were in jail between one and six months. So we've got over half our jail population there for a very short period of time. Because prisons are so overcrowded in Queensland at the moment, basically they don't provide rehabilitation services to prisoners who are there for less than 12 months. So most of our prisoners are not getting any rehabilitation services, being into jail, tipped out back onto the street. So why have we got high recidivism? Quite obvious, really. We, you know, it's, it's just a no-brainer. And the other terrible thing about that, these are people between one and six months, over half the prison population, but most of them are in high-security cells which costs somewhere between 600 and 800000 a cell. An absolute waste of public money because at the moment we have no other option for them. 30% of the prison population are First Nation people. Another 20% or so are there for minor transgressions. So what percentage of the prison population are there for serious crimes? I haven't got the exact figure, but if you look at people, say, that are that serious offenders who get sentenced for five years or more, my guess would be, and stand to be corrected, but probably that could be about a third of the prison population, 30%, something like that, uh, if you're looking at serious offenders. Um, 
Not to say that some of the short-term offenders aren't dangerous people either, they are, but the great majority and you would not put in that dangerous category. Um, prisons are really dealing with uh, a lot of very, very difficult people, and I don't think we can simply say, it's too simplistic to say we've got a criminal class. So why is the punishment paradigm so popular? I think it's, it's due to a few couple of reasons. One is that there's the fundamental notion that uh, crime can, crime and social problems can be solved by punishment in the sense that if you do something wrong, you get punished and you get locked up or deal, dealt with by the criminal justice system and that'll straighten you out and get you back on track. And so there's not, and that's a pretty widely held view and you can see the response in the media when serious crime is committed and that's reinforced. And if people speak against that and say, no, look, there's another way, well, then people get labelled as being soft on crime. So we tend to keep going down that punishment path, which is the driver of that. That punishment approach is severely flawed in the sense that the people that commit crime have had more severe punishment than most of us could ever imagine. Most of them have been neglected and often sexually abused as children. They haven't been educated properly. They struggle to even get food as they grew up. So they commit crime. Now, locking them up in jail and giving them punitive treatment means nothing to them. Dad's been to jail, my grandfather's been to jail. It's, it's, it's a culture in the family in many cases. So you don't solve that problem by more punishment. Not to say, in any shape or form, that very dangerous people need, don't need to be locked up. They need to be, and we need to look at that. But that's a minority of our prison population. And building more and more jails and putting the sort of the people in there that I just described from those difficult backgrounds doesn't help. In fact, it increases crime because they just get further traumatised, come out and do more crime. So there's a misunderstanding across the community about how to deal with this. And from, if you go from the lock them up and throw away the key model to the completely no prison model, they're extremes. And as we know that when that happens, the answer lies somewhere in the middle. And I promote and talk about a concept that takes care of the public safety aspect for dangerous people, but really addresses aggressively the need for rehabilitation of people that can be treated. And very importantly, back at the source, improving the situation in these disadvantaged communities to prevent crime in the first place. So they're the sort of elements that will be looked at. And it has to be, you can't just do that without community support and community understanding. So we need to get an understanding out there of the causes of crime and the ways to treat it. And then, arising from that understanding, there needs to be bipartisan political support to get it to happen. The law and order paradigm that dominates the discussion of the justice sector in the media and politics has spawned this crisis in Queensland's prisons. Dominated by the Murdoch press and the radio shock jocks, the mainstream media fuel fears of crime and offer simplistic solutions like lock them up and three-word slogans like law and order and being tough on drugs and tough on crime to promote a punishment paradigm. The political class have crumbled cravenly to these amplified inanities. Tough on crime has become the consensus across the political divide. As the Productivity Commission report demonstrates that tough on crime, justice policy is a massive failure. It increases the rate of imprisonment until the financial cost becomes unsustainable. 
So what is the alternative paradigm to tough on crime? Keith Hamburger explains. Two concepts which I strongly support. One is restorative justice and the other is justice reinvestment. And both of those apply to what I've been talking about. Restorative justice is you're trying to restore the offender to a law-abiding uh, lifestyle. You're trying to re- restore something to the victims of crime and you're trying to restore something to the community, if possible, depending on what's happened. And so your justice system should be restorative. You're trying to help victims, help the offender get back on track and make the community a better place. That's restorative justice. And our sentencing system generally doesn't follow that model. Our imprisonment rate in Australia is awful. Best practice in the world is Northern Europe, where their imprisonment rates are probably half ours. Worst practice is somewhere is the United States. And it's no surprise that Northern Europe for many, many years have worked on restorative justice principles and justice reinvestment. Now, what justice reinvestment does is that best practice in Northern Europe was where you do a 15-year plan. Why a 15-year plan? 15-year plan is because that takes young people that are, say, just born into three to five years of age up to the time they become adults under the criminal code, if you like. And so you're recognising that right now, if we started restorative justice in Queensland right now, we've got a whole range of disadvantaged communities. We do up a 15-year plan with key milestones at each electoral cycle, each three years. And we aim over this, that 15-year plan to reduce this imprisonment and crime rate. And so we know what we're spending at the moment, that's going up like that. And so what we have to do at the start of the 15-year plan is invest some money up front. It's like opening a new business. So my new business is I'm going to reduce crime and recidivism. So you whack in some money up front to do the sort of things that I've been talking about. And then as those things start to bite in reducing crime and reducing recidivism, the, the graph, if you put money up here with the, gra- with the graph with the money and the money's going across, crime's going up at a point the graphs intersect because your crime starts to go down, your communities start to get stronger. And the money you then save would have saved five years from now, we might have spent, say, an extra $5 billion on crime. If we get to a point in five years now we're only spending an extra $4 billion on crime, that billion that we've saved gets quarantined and goes back into the front end. So that's justice reinvestment. You reinvest it back into the communities, into trying to community safety, looking after children, looking after families. And so you, as the cycle goes on, that's what Northern Europe did. And so they kept putting the money back. And so they, they've got a flatline uh, lowest imprisonment rate in the world because of justice reinvestment and restorative justice in sentencing. The Queensland Productivity Commission reports solution to the rising numbers of prisoners is to reduce the rate of imprisonment through less reliance on imprisonment as a punishment for a number of non-violent crimes that do not have a victim. This includes drug possession offences, motor vehicle and some driving offences, regulatory offences and public nuisance offences. This group makes up 30% of the prison population. A non-prison option for these would significantly lower prison members and help avoid the $3.6 billion needed for new prisons. 
The recommendation for the legalisation or decriminalisation of cannabis is bold only in the Queensland example. 12 US states have legalised cannabis and many others have decriminalised. In Australia, the ACT has legalised cannabis and New Zealand will vote at the end of this year to legalise cannabis. The legalisation of cannabis is inevitable and pushing it forward will take considerable pressure off the prisons and police and avoid the trauma of drug police home invasions. The report subjects its suggestions that Queensland should decriminalise or legalise cannabis and MDMA to a cost-benefit analysis. It estimates Queensland is currently spending $500 million annually on drug law enforcement and that the decriminalisation of cannabis and MDMA would be a net benefit of $850 million annually to the Queensland economy, while the benefit of the legalisation of cannabis and MDMA would be higher, around $1.2 billion. I asked Keith Hamburger to comment on these figures. A classic example of waste of public money and the, and the QPC report refers to that in terms of looking at uh, drug law reform. Um, I participated in uh, Australia 21 roundtable on that a couple of years ago where we talked about a whole range of options and that was very senior law enforcement people, former law enforcement people from around Australia. And they talked about the need to move, you mentioned the black market, to move a number of drugs from the black market to the white market. In other words, make them available either by prescription or through proper sale in pharmacies or wherever. And certainly marijuana is one of those drugs that's talked about in that context, where in fact people, instead of committing a crime by getting that sort of drug, can actually go and purchase it. Uh, it puts it into the white market. That means that it's it's a legal thing where there's GST applicable and there's it's it's in the money is going into the into the economy, rather than money going to criminals on the black market. So, there's it's common sense. It's been pl- applied around the world, and there are a num- number of drugs that could fall into that category. There are some that are hugely dangerous that you wouldn't want to contemplate that for. But I think you know Queensland is long overdue to really have an adult discussion about all of that, to come up with some ground where people across the community once again gain understanding of the benefits of changing course because a lot of people knee jerk and think you know there's a terrible thing we can't possibly even think about legalizing any of these drugs ignoring mm. the fact of course mm. about alcohol that we've had for years <laughs> it's mm. a very has caused tremendous trauma across our society but nobody seems to be you know we're concerned mm. about it but the moment you mention drugs people get quite worried uh, but there is a middle ground on this and i think that's got to be talked about sensibly and as you say, for those figures you just mentioned, that there's tremendous financial savings to be made. The most disturbing aspect of the prison population figures is the extraordinarily high rate of imprisonment for First Nations people. If First Nations people were imprisoned at the same rate as the rest of the population, Queensland would have 27% fewer prisoners. I asked Keith Hamburger how this problem could be addressed. Well, the, the challenge that we're facing there is that they represent somewhere between 30 and 34% of the Queensland prison population. The big issue is that many of those, the great majority of those people come from 
poverty-stricken circumstances and circumstances of great social dysfunction. And uh, we basically put them in jail and removed them from their communities. Uh, then we tip them back out again, many after quite short sentences. They go back to the same circumstances and uh, they have a massively high recidivism rate of something like around 70% coming back to jail within two years. So we've got to break that cycle of poverty, dysfunction and the cycle of recidivism to deal with this. We can't deal with that through the jail system. Prisoning them in high security jails far from their communities only adds to the problem and makes it worse. So we have to approach this on the basis of those offenders, those that are actually seriously dangerous offenders, dangerous offenders have to go to jail. But a significant proportion, and I would suggest that somewhere today there'd be something, <clears throat> there's over 3,000, around 3,000 or more uh, Aboriginal people in jail and probably up to 1,500 of those don't need to be there. Many of those are in for short sentences while some of their offences have been dangerous. Once they are in circumstances where they're not accessing alcohol or drugs, etc., they can be contained in other facilities. And so the way to go about that is to create healing and rehabilitation centres on traditional land owned and operated by Aboriginal people, supported by experts in corrections and, and health and education, where they offer real, genuine uh, cultural healing as well as uh, physical healing and rehabilitation through work skills training and education. Now that can be done in humane circumstances in residential type accommodation with a level of security uh, where people are busily engaged in dealing with their psychological and personal issues as well as learning new skills. And that's a far more economical approach than building high security cells and it will greatly reduce recidivism. So that's the way I would go about addressing that problem. All I can reiterate really is this is a really urgent matter that has to be dealt with quickly. And I think there are a lot of people out I know, and I think I know there are a lot of very senior people out there who've worked in the criminal justice system and the social justice system who would support a government that is brave enough to, to start down a new path. I'm sure that they will, the government would get a lot of support. They would also get a lot of support from a range of people in articulating the benefits of this new approach to the media and to the public because it's got to be sold. Straight away people will say you're going soft on crime or we're not. Nothing that I've suggested or spoken about today talks about being soft on crime. It's about reducing crime and it's about keeping dangerous offenders locked up but the great bulk of offenders that can be rehabilitated get proper rehabilitation and governments need to be brave enough to step up to the plate and go down that path.